motivators. Listen, I just had to pull over in this Calvary Church of Lansdale lot, this huge friggin' mega church up by uh, where I live, just to do my podcast. I need some, a quiet place where there's not a lot of people out here to mess with me, to interrupt my train of thought here. I'm actually coming from my uh, dental appointment. I got the greatest dentist in the friggin' world, my friends, friend Helene Woodmancy, right? Southern Pennsylvania. Got my gums checked, got my friggin' fangs tweaked, checked. My periodonty is periodonty is good. My bicuspids and friggin' molars, premolars, all that shit is squared away. Straight, friggin' pearly white, big Gary Busey chiclet teeth. Alright? And I feel clean and I feel fresh and I'm ready to take on the friggin' world, my friend. Listen. This morning's podcast is going to be threefold because I got a bunch of things on my mind. Always thinking. Got a wild mind. Try to open my uh, myself in any spare time I have, which is not ample. But I try to let my mind wander and take in the world and just notice things that when we're in the rat race of life, we don't always notice. They slip by us, become part of the scenery, something that eludes us, maybe only uh, noticeable in our subconscious, kind of like an autopilot mode that we get into, you know? So I try to notice these things and see what's going on in there. So today's podcast is going to be called Consciousness, Culture, and Cursing. Let's start with consciousness. I read an article some time ago, and I'm frequently reminded of it, that science has elucidated, science has discovered, has been able to identify the specific anatomy, these structures within our, our, our nervous system that dictates consciousness. All right? So basically our operating system that is running at this very moment, some of us more than others, right? They, these scientists from Harvard at Al and other scientists, right? They studied and uh, the mind of people who were in a vegetative state. People were in a coma. People were um, had spinal injuries, and they imaged them with these certain uh, advanced imaging techniques, like functional MRI. So they're taking a picture of your brain and uh, taking note of the activity that's going on in a particular setting. So, they found that there is a physical connection between the brain stem, which if you take your hand and slap it on the back of your neck, right where your neck meets your skull, that's where your brain stem lives. A couple inches in, you've got this, I don't know, it's like a bicycle handle or some sort of, maybe like an immature squash or something. This friggin' zucchini that you have at the base of your skull is where the Spinal cord meets the brain, and so it's called the brain stem. Imagine a stem on like a flower. The flower, let's say it's a rose. That rose would be your brain. The brain that you think of, um, like zombies, the, the brain that zombies lust after, that they like to chomp on. That squiggly, squiggly 
bumpy, friggin' and wrinkly sulci and gyri brain. That is essentially your computer processor. The connection between your brain and, or actually the seat of consciousness was found to be between the brain stem and then these other inner parts of that zombie brain. All right. Uh, in specific, there are parts called the insula and the cingulate gyrus. All right. These are like a couple layers down inside that rose, or a couple petals that you pluck and uh, and look a little bit deeper inside the the structure of that rose. You'll find these brain structures. So, when the when there was an injury, a, a cut in the the wiring between the brain stem and the cingulate gyrus and the insula, which are just above, the person lost consciousness. All right? But right now, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're living, breathing, functioning, you are conscious. You are taking in all kinds of information through your senses. Five or three S's and two T's. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. We draw the environment in. We, pro- we sense our environment. We detect changes in it. Wow, look at that beautiful sky with slight cloud cover. Wow, look at that green tree. Look at the parking spaces. Well, what's that smell? I smell, you know, a diesel exhaust. Uh, must have been that tractor trailer that just passed me by. Or I smell manure. Maybe the cat, maybe the friggin' um, farmers are spraying that shit on their fields, literally and figuratively. You know, and what does it feel like? Ah, oh, the temperature's 73 degrees out. On this Thursday morning, you know, what do I hear? You know, I hear the hum of my air conditioner on low as I listen as I record this podcast. So, we're processing these changes in the environment around us, and we're integrating that in our computer processor, in those petals of the rose, and we're trying to determine how we're going to act based upon our environment right? How are we going to behave? We need that information, that quality information coming in through our senses with which to, when we process that in our brain, our body says, okay, it's 73 degrees out. I'm just going to wear a t-shirt today. I don't have to bundle up or I don't have to, you know, dress down. Or, oh, you know, I smell those friggin' Uh, diesel fumes. I, mean, I better freaking roll up my window. So it's dictating the sensory information is dictating our behavior. But beyond that, there's things that are happening automatically in our subconscious. All right? Basically, they're happening all the while around us. We're aware of it on some level, but we're just not doing anything with that information. And I find that very interesting when your mind, when you have a little bit of time and your mind is able to wander. You ever do that? Like, you ever try to relax and meditate? And you say, there's a big push for meditation right now. Um, 
mindfulness. So we're going to follow our breath. I'm just going to relax and sit in the friggin' lotus position. And I'm just going to follow my breath, relax everything in sequence, and then close my eyes. And you ever try to meditate or just quietly relax for a few minutes? And your eyelids, you close your eyes, your eyelids are going freaking crazy because its we're so used to running a mile a minute. And while your eyes are closed and you're focusing on your breath, it's the most damning thing in the world because it's annoying as shit. You have all these thoughts that pass across your mind. That's your consciousness. To me, it is. And so... I was doing this last night at the close of business I uh, at the office is where I run my chiropractic clinic. I got a massage. I adjusted Barbara Surrey, my massage therapist, uh, the licensed massage therapist from Surrey Helping Hands, very gifted and talented, and I'm relaxing now. Now, the shoemaker's kids typically has no shoes, right? So I'm taking care of everybody else, but I don't take good enough care of myself. And I'm being worked on, I'm trying to relax, and I'm thinking about all in the background, my operating system is scanning all of this, all the activities in the room, from the uh, Native American drum music that Barbara's trying to set the, set the uh, relaxing uh, ambiance, to the activities of the day, and this patient came in, and this one missed their appointment, got to call them back, and uh, I sure miss my family who are out in Michigan doing friggin' tubing on friggin' Lake Michigan while I'm, you know, working here, what a pain in the ass, got to get home, feed the dogs, uh, I remember when I was, that, that was my, that, that bully that I hated so much when I was in eighth grade, and oh man, I remember I was a little skinny boy, and now I'm doing this, and, and what am I going to do tomorrow, and I got to do this, I got to go to the store, I probably stop by Lowe's, and you know, that time in the Marine Corps when I was out on patrol in Morocco, and you're, you, all of these things, these um, random thoughts that that pass across our mind, I I think they're absolutely amusing. It's nuts. I mean, how many thoughts pass across our consciousness? How many things are running in our operating systems? It's like, think of this in terms of um, like your cell phone or your computer. And you ever, it, slow, it slows down. Your computer's getting a little symptomatic, right? It's not functioning the way you want it to. So you run like a, a cleaner or uh, antivirus. And it pops up with all these processes. Like there are 500 processes occurring right now. And it's using this much resources. This quantity of resources from your system. And you could free up a bunch of space just by clearing this off. Well, how many processes do we have running in our consciousness right now? Imagine our mind and body as a machine, a computer, that's processing our environment and responding to stimuli. And after that stimuli has passed, after that diesel tractor trailer has passed and is and carrying its precious cargo, where you pass that farmer's fields and the horseshit smell fades. Does that stay with us? What impression does it make? Is there a lasting impression, like literally in our in our 
swimming around our mind and why do we how does it serve us to have this information swirling around in our consciousness on our radar so to speak when we have other more important things to do how does this drive us all important questions so I've dabbled in a little bit of meditation I've made a it a goal that while my family is away in Michigan and I have a little bit of free time that I was going to try to do some mindfulness and I'll get on that later and report back so that's the first of our podcast triad today consciousness in summary science has determined the anatomical location of it and maybe we'll learn more about that and how to manipulate it maybe how to free some space off of our hard drive right cool consciousness the second one topic will be culture. So I was talking with the dental hygienist about uh, her making, you know, you spend a lot of time working on somebody's, in somebody's mouth. You got to pass the time. You also want to uh, be conversational, uh, have a good rapport with your patient. So as my mouth is gaping wide open, she is telling me about her trip recently to Ireland and told me all about these uh, sites and you know, greenery and cliffs and history and Guinness. She was telling me that uh, she was in some pub in in Galway, let's say, and she came out and at 11 o'clock at night it was still light outside. Well, I didn't know that about Ireland. But I can imagine, as she's telling me, I can imagine a little town. Without even a detailed description, I can imagine this little Irish town with narrow streets. She says it was very walkable. You could cover the whole town. It's a couple per- perpendicular streets. And everybody's very nice and it's very safe. And they were in the pub, of course, having an, a Guinness. So, taking in another culture. I always found it fascinating that whether you're abroad, like I spent some time in the military and the Marine Corps, right? And I might have mentioned before about how when you pull into a, a new country, Uh, Tomorrow morning we're on schedule, we're going to be pulling into Morocco. All right, so you pull up to Morocco or Spain or Israel. And you look out, you pull into that harbor and you look out onto a city. Even though it's just a wharf and a little, you know, shitty downtown uh, area. You're looking up the terrain, depending upon where you're at in the world. And on that hillside you see dwellings and you, you smell the food and the, the fuel and the people and the farts and the, the murky um, seawater mixed with detritus and all this stuff. You're taking in that culture, the language, right? The, the look of the streets versus and the little cars that they drive. We drive these big ass cars in the United States, you know, it's like a status thing. Over there, they drive these little economical little beaters around. They're driving a million miles an hour, right? The sounds. You're taken in this culture, and this is what this woman had done. So she's describing to me her glass of Guinness. And she said, you know, do you happen to know, uh, like, well, I was having a conversation with somebody, a friend, and they were saying, oh, yeah, we're drinking this Guinness, and oh, it just tastes so much better in Ireland. And she was saying, she asked me, do you know if they have a Guinness factory, like do they produce it in the United States or is it only produced in Ireland? 
that a given product would only be produced in the place of its origin, right? Like a cheesesteak could only be produced in Philly kind of deal. I mean, it's not the best example, but my answer was this. It was a story, of course, you know, uh, so in chiropractic college up in the Finger Lakes, it was a big wine producing region. I was told at the time it was like the second most wine producing region, uh, only to only second to Napa Valley in California. So upstate New York. And I had gone to these various wineries, a wine trail, different uh, places, and they've got their decor and maybe a little eatery in there and they've got their, their types of wine big on the white wines up there. So, you look out into the fields and you see, okay, well, we just planted these these wine, um, these particular variety of grape, the Riesling grapes, and, and you look at, you know, maybe a parking lot span of uh, grapes growing out there on the vine. And... You ask yourself, or maybe one of the workers, well, you know, how do you, uh, you know, we, what happens, like, when do you harvest? You ask, oh, when do you harvest your grapes to make a new a new uh, vintage, and how long do you, bottle, do you store it and age it and bottle it and all that stuff, trying to learn about the industry? And somebody eventually said, well, you know, we don't, we get Riesling grapes or Merlot or Cabernet uh, grapes, from wherever that grape is growing throughout the country, the region, the country, and in fact, the world. You know, if you can get Riesling grapes from uh, Chile or Argentina or something like that, cheaper and of, of decent quality, you're going to get them there. Now, ideally, you would get them from your own fields and what would taste better than something that you had, had come out of the ground that you had put work into planting and fertilizing and breeding and um, pruning and all that shit. You imagine somebody going out to the field and harvesting grapes right out of that plot that you can see out there, right off of that vine, when in fact, particularly with given the demand for a product this day and age, you produce these things however from wherever you possibly can. And so Guinness in Ireland is just one example. My theory is that Guinness has um, production facilities throughout the country and the world, probably, where they'll, they'll produce this product, bottle it up, can it up, keg it up, and they'll ship it wherever. I bet that they have some a Guinness factory inside, even if you don't know it's a Guinness factory, it's basically a beer factory. Let's say it's in the back of Anheuser-Busch or whatever company would produce it. They're going to make it and they're going to produce it and they're going to uh, ship it however appropriately. You know, you have to supply the demand and you have to have a facility in proximity. All right, so all the Guinness doesn't come from Ireland. And all the cheesesteaks, but won't well, backing up. All the Guinness doesn't come from Ireland, I theorize, but there's nothing that tastes more Guinness, like better, 
is to drink a Guinness in a small pub in a little Irish town with its history and its culture and its accents and its hospitality and its food. In other words, you're drinking part of Ireland. Even if that beer was produced in, I don't know, Chicago. Bottling plant. It's made with a recipe. It's made, it's produced, it's bottled, all that shit. What tastes better than a Guinness in Ireland? Maybe a cheesesteak in Philadelphia, right? Or a crab cake in Maryland. Or a bottle of Cabernet from the Napa Valley. As you're looking across beautiful fields of green vines and bright red grapes ready for the picking. You know, what are some other examples of products that, you know, it's like when you go here, this is what you got to do. So, um, when you go to, uh, I said Maryland, known for its crab cakes, known for its blue crabs, right? Well, what happens if the blue crab crop isn't really doing so well in Maryland? You're going to get those all the way from up and down the East Coast, probably from uh, across the world and country, right? You'll get that meat for the crabs. Food is, is what we think of a lot, right? So Maryland crabs. Uh, how about Maine lobster? All right, what tastes better than sinking your teeth into a fresh uh, day boat caught uh, lobster tail while you're sitting in Bar Harbor, Maine? Or halibut as you're on some mountaintop in Alaska? Or salmon if you're out in the um, Pacific Northwest? Or surfing when you're in California or better yet Hawaii listening to a ukulele strum. So that's the culture. There are certain things, these tend to be like tourist um, destinations, right? When you go here, this is what you got to do. You go to Philly, you want to go to Old City, Philadelphia, where the history all took place. Go to Penn's Landing. This is a location where, you know, this particular historical action took place. This is where Tun Tavern, Philadelphia, and birthplace of the United States Marine Corps occurred, so we need to physically be there and experience it and imagine what it was like based upon stories that we were told and history that was written. This is where Benjamin Franklin you know, walked the earth, and this is the little river that he went swimming in, and this is his, his uh, place where he thrust his kite up into the winds and tied it with a key attached to it and did experiments. Right. And you drive around maybe in a horse and buggy and you try to imagine what life must have been like. So we're talking about tourism, this hygienist and I, we're talking about tourism and, and uh, culture and what we're buying and, and tying this into um, my first topic of consciousness, I think it's all about how we process things. Back to the Guinness, back to the cheesesteak, 
you want to freaking eat a cheesesteak, where's the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia? You want to eat that cheesesteak in Old City, Philadelphia, produced by an authentic, the best cheesesteak place in the area. And then when you have it, it meets your expectations. Or I want to go to Fenway Park, a historic baseball stadium, and I want to have a hot dog from Fenway Park while my two favorite teams are playing. Right? It's very interesting, but the con our consciousness and our expectation, the stories that we've heard, the things that we've read, they drive the experience. They help us interpret culture. Consciousness, culture, and cursing. Cursing is something I'd like to, I, I wanted to do a freaking podcast on for a long time. You know, I don't want to offend anybody with these uh, mutterings, but I absolutely want to be real. I got to keep it real, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, cuz? So, motherfucking cursing. Listen, there is a little ditty, a little. Um, cursing cadence, if you will, that I'm going to try to recite, we would, we would run to this in formation when I was in the United States Marine Corps. It goes like this. Eat, bite, fuck, suck, gobble, nibble, chew. Nipple, pussy, hair, pie, finger, fuck, screw. Moose, piss, cow, put, orangutan, tit. If you ain't infantry, then you ain't shit. Right? Pretty friggin' off-color, nasty shit right there, right? And this is the language that we spoke, the vernacular, the language of the people, how we expressed ourselves. And if that shocked, if that you find that shocking, then you're naive, okay? Because it's just language. It's just a form of expression. It can definitely add punctuation to a sentence, cursing. I have long thought uh, and been astounded by people who were offended by uh, by language. You know, like if you say something like "fuck," you you say with a certain uh, rise and in inflection to it. "Fuck," what the fuck are you doing? Or, um, man, what is this shit? Shithead, turd, anus. I, I use the term anus. Because it's anatomically correct. And people, if they are not familiar with the human body, they'll be vaguely familiar with the term anus. But it's proper, a little bit outside of their familiarity. So it'll take them off guard. So I sling profanity with precision. Certainly know my, uh, my audience. You know, you don't try to drop an F-bombs. you got to be appropriate with these things. But it's just a form of expression. And we all know folks who will never curse, and some folks, they lay, lay it on entirely too thick, okay? But it certainly is, is not something that we should be, you know, there, there are worse evils in the world than somebody expressing themselves with, um, with a form of offensive language, it's just language, and it's just a form of expression. It's just our ability to, um, like I said, add a little punctuation to the end of a sentence. 
you know, I had this guy that I served with, Presley. I love him like a brother. He's friggin' awesome. He's from the South, and he was very religious. From Mississippi, I believe. And he wouldn't say fuck. He would say fud. He had a little bit of a high voice. And be like, oh, burst, foot you, son. He'd be like, instead of asshole, he would say end hole. Oh, burst, you, you're just an end hole, son. Say, if you can call me an, do you just call me an end hole? Like, why can't you call me an asshole? Like, you're thinking it. You're imagining me as this offensive, smelly butthole. So call me that, man. Or at least say butthole, because end hole just sounds stupid. You would say foot and end hole. Man, Hobers, you, you ain't nothing but an end hole. Foot you, man. Foot. He would, he would stub his toe or friggin' fall, you know, whatever. Trip and falls like we all do. He'd be like, foot. Man. So that was an interesting thing, and I certainly respect that he, um, you know, he wouldn't want to be offensive or he wouldn't want to take the Lord's name in vain or uh, it was a, a firm belief and something that, in fact, was ingrained into his culture that you didn't talk like that. Like, you you, you operated as a gentleman. Um, you, you didn't try to offend people or use a foul mouth. And I do think that, uh, I mean, I, I certainly don't... We can all be in, in a given setting, let's say, if somebody starts dropping F-bombs or they're using... Like, there's a time and place, right? You know? Uh, I think, like most things, in experiencing something, in having experienced a range of, like, whatever, s slow and fast, short and tall, um, success and failure, in having experienced and lived out that continuum of life, you kind of realize, like, okay, I feel naughty, I'm cursing now, I'm going to say shit or fuck or damn hell, shit, I had a guy, my squad leader, when I was in the core, he would say, shit, fuck, damn hell, if he was stressed out or something, like, be like, man, shit, fuck, damn hell, Presley would also say something, he'd say, instead of shit, he'd say, well, sugar, honey, iced tea, <laughs> sugar honey iced tea it's funny man it's funny the way some people could you know they're they're frightened of it like it's a oh don't say that because it's foolish it's nothing to to shrink from it's just expression so with my children and my family you know we got some potty mouths but we correct the kids if they uh, they certainly hear will hear me mouth off sometimes and my hope is that and I, I catch them sometimes, and I will uh, admonish them. I will tell them, listen, don't talk like that, you know, to be appropriate, okay? But if you tell somebody you can't do it or you shouldn't do something, we all know that it's human nature, particularly the nature of a child, to, to want to do that. And they're going to do it behind your back, all right? And that's fine. But hopefully they get to the point where they realize, okay, this isn't a big deal. I'm just going to grow up a little bit and I realize that I need to communicate a certain way in order to get through to people. Like, you got to be a student of the world and your interactions with people. 
You don't want to turn somebody off, but you, you do want to be have um, a laundry list of expletives to at your to your credit. You know, if you find yourself one up in a tough situation, because they make things better, they make the pain go away. They help you vent your frustration instead of keeping it all bottled in and secretive like. So go ahead and curse. You know? It's not the end of the world. It might be the beginning of your liberation from the ties that bind you to and ground you to this ridiculous world. Listen, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. So find a way to whistle while you work and if in the process, you got to drop a couple F-bombs, then that's friggin' just, just fine by me. You're not going to fucking offend me. All right? Let's see. What can I say about curse? Man, I know some people... It, it's interesting when the language gets more creative than shit, fuck, damn, hell. Um, you can use them in combination. You can use... Uh, um, let's see. I had, a, I had a buddy back in my Marine Corps days. He would say... He had, he had this phrase, it was pussy face bitch. He'd be like, Oberst, you take my shit? You ain't number one of them pussy face bitches. He would keep saying it. It was like his term, his phrase. Kind of like mine is anus. Right? You're like, man, pussy face bitch. Um, I had another guy that I've told some stories about, H.E. Forsman. He was a incredible profane individual. New text message from plus one two six seven two one eight six two. Whatever. Shut the fuck up. Um, he would say it sometimes. H.E. Fordman. O.B. Shut the fuck up. He didn't call his dick his penis. His penis is dick. He would say uh, my girthage. Or he would call it his purple diamond cutter. <laughs> which I had never heard before. So every once in a while you run by a curse that someone you will utilize, um, you know, to try to spice things up or either to conceal their curse. It's interesting when it comes out as like a, like a automatically. Like, uh, I have a, I have one of my patients, she said, uh, instead of, instead of an expletive, she says, well, golly daisies. <laughs> golly daisies. It's funny, man. It's funny. But look, to each their own. I'm going to curse. I've had experiences. I can sling profanity with precision and with restraint because I've been to the darkest areas of the wheelhouse when it comes to cursing. i got a lot of curses in my wheelhouse. It doesn't mean I'm a sinner. It doesn't mean I'm going to hell. It doesn't mean I don't like you. I could be just be sitting in traffic and say, you know, what the fuck? Ah, this fucking guy. Ah, uh, what do you, whatever. I'll say something, I'll be like, hey, all right, come on, Peter, let's go. Hurry up. Turn, turn already, Peter. And Peter, of course, is an expletive that describes the human penis member. Little alias for the term penis, Peter. And you say, hey, what's going on, Peter? And they're like, oh, my name's John. Yeah. Oh. Oh, you're making fun of me. I'll call me a Peter, right? Or I call somebody a turd. Um, 
you know, we use these terms to describe some of the dirtiest, the functions of life, like to defecate. That's a friggin' horrible sounding term, and we all know it's disgusting and part of our normal bodily uh, physiology to eliminate, to defecate, to cut a turd, to shit, to crap, to um, sh- uh, past tense of shit is shat. Scat, dookie, poop, poopy, die diarrhea. That's for for shit. Okay, what else? Uh, ec- uh, excrement. Sometimes I'll say excellent man. That's xx. It's excellent excrement or good feces. I like to say that. That's good feces. It means good shit, right? I made that sucker up. Uh, let's see what else. Okay, so that's shit. How about penis? Penis. Peter. Dong. Dick. Wang. Pud. Purple diamond cutter. Millimeter Peter. Crank. Loaf. That's a turd. Um, girthage. Member, Schween, Peen, Cock, how about Vagina, Vagina, Vaginus, Roast Beef Curtains, Hairy Hatchet Wound, Cunt, pussy, hole, I know I'm missing a bunch of good ones there. Hey, you're just describing female anatomy. Uh... Let's see, dick, uh, ass, butt, badonkadonk, anus, glutes, butt, ox, rear, end hole, anus, Caboose. Miscellaneous. Uh, Cocksucker. Dick liquor. Penis anus. Penis anus. Ass face. Chode. This is interesting. A chode is... (laughs) I've heard different descriptions. You go on... um, uh, Urban Dictionary. Chode. You'll find that a chode is a, uh, it's a dick that is as wide as it is long. So it's like a bud nip, like a beer can. Peter. Chode. A chode is also some say it's like the the uh, banus, like the perineum, the place between your balls and your ass. Chode. And they even include a part of speech. Fuck face, 
fucker. Shit stain. Cock nobbler. Cock gobbler. Pussy face bitch. Biatch. Snatch. Man, there's a whole host of them. It's good to have these at, at your disposal. You want to have a, a good variety of it. That way you throw people off guard. You'll be able to describe things in many different ways. Vent your frustrations. You know? Um, I don't care what the good book says. It's not going to friggin'. It's not the end of the world. You treat people with respect. You don't get all like, <laughs> oh, 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 you said shit. Listen, friggin' get out there. Be profane. Use it to describe your world and your frustrations. And this world is a very frustrating place. Hold no, uh, nobody responsible. Somebody uses bad language. Okay. It's not a personal attack always. Use it in, make common usage out of it. And nobody's going to friggin' have to hang their head, pout about, talking a little shit, talking a little feces. All right. Like to hear some of the profanity that you can um, spout out. All right, you turds. One more time. Eat, bite, fuck, suck, a gobble, nibble, chew, nibble, put a hair, pie, finger, fuck, screw, a moose, piss, cow, put a orangutan, tit. If you ain't O3 and you ain't it. Oh, uh, breasts, titties, mammaries, jugs. Harry Arioli. Um, fried egg tits. Tatas. Mammaries. Drawing a blank, man. I'm getting a little hypoglycemic here. You get the idea. Listen, it's all about friggin'. It's all about consciousness, culture, and cursing. Yes, yes? Stay motivated. Huh!